0: You are
1: now tuned in to the Jags Dan Podcast, the official podcast of the Jaguars Wire brought to you by USA Today Sports Media Group and also the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Jags Dan Podcast, episode 41. I am your host for today. James Johnson, managing editor of the Jaguars Wire. As you all know, that is today.com. And of course, you can follow me on Twitter under sportsgrind underscore done. So uh, for today's episode, uh, once again, episode 41, I'm going to be doing it solo. Uh, shout outs to Jacob and Phil, as usual, it is the 11th of June. And it is currently 1 45 PM, the opening day of mini camp, mandatory mini camp that is not rookie mini camp. And, uh, the guys, of course, you know, at this point in the afternoon, they're, uh, off working, um, on their, their everyday jobs. So they couldn't join me today, but shout outs to both of them. Uh, they'll be able to join me down the road for future podcasts, of course, as usual. Um, but Nonetheless, I'm here to hold it down on the opening day of minicamp as we have a lot to talk about. But uh, before we get into that, of course, you can feel free to follow our other handles at Jags Den Podcast for our podcast handle at the Jaguars Wire for the Jaguars Wire Twitter handle. Again, I'm sportsgrind underscore done on Twitter. You can feel free to follow Jacob at underscore Jadella and feel under at Phil the Filipino. So that being said, you also can feel free to look at our archive or listen to our archived episodes of the Jags Den on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, iHeart uh, TuneIn, iHeart Radio, Spotify, and of course we're on the Audio Boom Network, which is the main interface we use uh, with the other. Uh, USA Today Wire site. So feel free to check out those podcasts and subscribe to those as well as ours. And uh, you know, feel free to send us those comments and and uh, ratings, and you know, help us climb the charts in terms of you know our place as a Jaguars podcast. So all of that said, we're gonna get right into things. Um, I got a few quick hits here, and as usual, you know, I want to keep it brief, which never almost really never works out for me they always end up being one hour episodes but uh, before we get into the main part of today's episode i do uh, want to announce these quick hits real quick and as quickly as possible hopefully uh you never know again when i get to ranting you know you, you just never know that these things can turn into a, a 15 minute process but i'm not gonna do that today hopefully so um of course uh today, like I said, mini camp started. Uh that will be ongoing from June the eleventh to the thirteenth. So from today, which is Tuesday, all the way into Thursday. And of course Marone met with the media. He opened things up by meeting with the media this morning. They got up and at it early this morning, a little earlier than usual. I think it was roughly nine or eight thirty ish that uh, the guys took the field. But uh, you know, of course the big deal with uh, Him and his presser today was, you know, he didn't really want to comment on the Yannick and Guy Quay situation. As we all know, he's holding out for his contract. Uh, he's on the last year of his rookie deal. And, uh, you know, you got guys like Frank Clark and Demarcus Lawrence who have kind of set that market for a guy like him who uh, has twenty nine point five sacks. I think those guys have like thirty two sacks and like um I think Lawrence might even have less than Ngakwe, which is uh like 28 or maybe 27 or something along those lines in the last three years since Ngakwe has been in the league. And of course, you know, he feels the need that he, you know, and rightfully so that he needs to get paid accordingly as he is set to make a little over two million dollars. While those guys have contracts, which basically are, you know, that, that guarantees 62 million And uh, in totality, they they total out to be over 100 million. So, of course, he's elected to hold out for rookie minicamp, which, you know, that means he's subject or or, um, not rookie minicamp, but mandatory minicamp, which means he's subject to fines. Uh, But if they get a deal done, you know, sometimes what these teams end up doing in the NFL is removing the fines. Uh, but as of right now, or, or I guess later down the road, they'll decipher like what the fines will be or if they will find him at all. So uh, Marone didn't want to comment on those that situation, of course, uh, you know, because I mean, and he he makes a fair point. His his job is to worry about what's on the field and the roster and who is there. And uh, that being said, you know, he, he said, you know, hey, that's Tom and Dave Caldwell's problem to deal with. And, uh, you know, I'm going to let the front office handle that. And I'm just going to worry about what I can control as the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And also while I'm at it uh, and and I'm doing the quick hits uh, in terms of the notable players, at least I don't think I have them all here. But in terms of the notable players that will uh, be missing out on OTAs or won't participate in like team drills and, and those who are absent, the only one that is absent is I think. Doug Marone said in the presser this morning was DJ Alexander, the linebacker, one of the linebackers that they signed uh, prior to rookie minicamp. When they found out, you know, the situation with tell Smith, he previously played for the Philadelphia Eagles. And though he didn't say what the issue necessarily was, he did say, and I'm talking about Marone here, he did say that Alexander had been excused and that his prayers was with Alexander, which might hint that it was a family related issue. Uh, that being said, prayers to him. Um, as Marone said, of course, the team is out praying for him. Uh, we're praying for him as well with the Jaguars wire, although, you know, we haven't known him very long and he has not been with the team very long. You know, uh, it's again, it's just some things that need to be taken care of aside from football. And uh, that might be the case or that seems to be the case with Alexander. So uh, ryquell Armstead and rookie Josh Allen, both of them are rookies, actually first and fifth round picks. Uh, they, they're they going to be out. That was announced last week. Um, Josh Allen sustained a knee contusion, as we all know. That happened in the first day or after the first day of camp. So from the second day on or the second day on in um, OTAs, he basically missed out with that knee contusion. Nothing major. They just want to play it safe with him. With Armstead is a hamstring, which he sustained last week. Um, and, you know, he had to be seen by the medical staff. But again, nothing too major. Although, you know, he was carted off the field. Uh, they, they didn't necessarily say it was a big deal when that happened. Man, clearly it isn't because Doug Marone said last week that, you know, it's just a situation where they want to take precaution with as well. So they're just being careful with those guys to get them into training camp at 100%. And then also uh, Marquise Lee and Cam Robinson uh, continue to rehab from their situations. Both of them are coming off of. Uh, Knee surgery from last year. Of course, uh, Lee sustained his in the third week of the preseason against the Falcons. When DeMonte Kazi made contact with his knee, Uh, he had a big knee surgery uh, and it's expected that he'll be back around the second week in training camp. And there's not necessarily a timeline on Cam Robinson, but one would think he'll be back either before or after Lee. So, you know, those guys will continue to rehab and work on the side field. The next big quick hit, of course, uh the everybody knows about Jalen Ramsey by now. Uh he of course he missed all of OTAs. Uh he he trained in tennis he as he always does and you know that's what he says is right for his body. And that's fine because they're voluntary. He's back for the voluntary or the man the um, the mandatory part of this whole uh equation. And also training camp is also mandatory, too. So we would assume that he's going to be back for that as well. But he's back for a mandatory mini camp. Uh, Been there since Friday, I think he said. But um, nonetheless, uh, he came out. He had a presser after practice came out to say that the Jacksonville Jaguars have yet to extend him or um, the team won't be extending him. Excuse me. In 2019. And that, you know, him and his camp reached out to them. And that is what they grasp from what the camp was telling them. Uh, so it looks like past 2019 is when the Jacksonville Jaguars will look to resign him in other words. So as we all know, you know, he's come, they put him on the fifth year option, which he'll earn $10 million on in 2020. So if they could play him on that as well. Um, you know, he could elect to hold out or whatever the case may be too, in, in, in hopes of a new contract. Uh, but, that being said, he, he said, you know, the money, he he understands how this business works. He understands they can make the money uh, in terms of uh, of cap space to pay him if need be. Uh, but at the same time, he understands that he's a blessed individual. Uh, he's made a lot of money still, nonetheless. And, you know, I think like his big thing right for now, and he does know his worth and he does know he's going to be the highest paid corner in football. But right now, I think. He's watching to see how they take care of Yannick and Yannick who who is his good friend and who, you know, they, the Jacksonville Jaguars need him in this defense to flourish, especially Ramsey and the cornerbacks and those guys in the secondary. So he's he's kind of scoping that situation. Now, I mean, not even just because, you know, Ngakwe is his friend and they need him in the defense. But from a business perspective, he's probably watching to see how the Jaguars do business. And uh, that being said, um. You know, when they take care of that in Miles Jack, you would think Ramsey is up next. I don't think he's going anywhere. And he's probably going to be the highest paid corner in football. When you look at it, Xavier Howard is currently, who got his deal this offseason, the highest paid cornerback in football. And I think his deal is like in totality. Let me look it up real quick. His deal is worth. Seventy six point five million, and this was through a contract extension. And uh, he is guaranteed forty six million, so that makes him the highest paid corner in football. By the time Ramsey gets paid, or you know, it's time for the Jaguars to to um get going in terms of his contract, because again, they have the fifth year option at their disclosure. They also have. Uh, the franchise tags but you know you hope you would hope that it doesn't get drawn out that long but uh you know by the time it's ramsey's turn you know he's looking at probably upwards of 50 million dollars guaranteed 55 million dollars guaranteed maybe more who knows at that point at the rate that these players are getting paid and how inflation works in the nfl so that being said you know he's gonna be uh, whenever his time comes, he's gonna get paid handsomely and personally, right now, I'm expecting that to be with the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh despite you know how others feel on that. so that's all I will say on that and lastly, uh the last quick hit of the day and this actually happened last week. they added the Jacksonville Jaguars did offensive tackle Andrew Lauderdale. And off the top of my head, he previously played for the uh, Cardinals. I know uh, he played for other teams. He also spent some time in the AAF. But again, the most recent team he played for was Lauderdale. And um, they waived Pharaoh McIver tight end to make space for him. And I actually saw on Packers wire that um, McIver, I might have said his name wrong, that Pharaoh McIver, he ended up going and being picked up by the Green Bay Packers off waivers. So that's all the quick hits. Got those done in a fairly timely fashion, as opposed to <laughs> past episodes. um But in terms of the topics at hand, I'm just gonna get right into them. And again, I'm gonna try and keep them brief. I don't want to make it a long podcast. I'm gonna try and keep this topic ten minutes. Uh, but again, you never know with me. Uh, but the Yannick Ngakoue situation, and as we all know. Uh, like I said, Doug Marone didn't want to comment on it. But of course Yannick and Gakway is holding out for a contract. It was uh revealed by Adam Schefter or I think it was actually Palisero who uh first broke the news. Then Schefter kinda broke it like maybe a minute or two or seconds after. Uh but you know, he uh basically uh is gonna be out of mandatory mini camp for a new contract extension. As we all know, uh the market got set by guys like Frank Clark this summer and the um, Marcus Lawrence of the Green Bay Packers. Or I'm sorry, are the Dallas Cowboys, uh, who basically both of them are earning sixty two million dollar guaranteed contracts. And in totality, their contracts, again, as I said earlier, I think um, they are in the range of one hundred and five and one hundred and four dollars. So, uh, you know, Yannick and Godquai clearly seeing that. Understand that he doesn't need to risk injury, although he did come out and at the first day of OTAs and say, I'll be here, this, that and other. Uh, me personally, I wouldn't have did that, you know, because you never know what the future holds and how the contract situation was going to work out past that. I would have just straight up been just honest with the media and said, hey, look, they're working on a contract situation if they are. Um, and depending on how that goes, I'll be here or not. Simple as that. But. Um, you know, maybe he knew something, or he thought like the contract talks were going to be solved by now, or it was going in the the right direction, trend, trending upwards, if you will, and uh, he, he maybe thought that he would be in in camp and be able to be through all through OTAs as well. So uh, that said, uh, he's holding out, and uh, the the statement here I actually pulled it up from Adam Schefter is uh, I will not be attending minicamp as my contract situation has not been resolved. I remain committed to Jacksonville, the fans, my teammates. And then he finishes it up. He finished it up by saying that my hope is to be with Jacksonville for many years to come. So, you know, my big thing with this is, and a lot of people are getting to this point too. It's like, why is it taking this long? And, Aside from that, it's it's almost like this man, the Jacksonville Jaguars, clear, cut and dry, need to get this deal done, and they need to do right in terms of what they offer him and what they pay him, uh, because the Jacksonville, as we all have seen with their front office, their especially Tom Coughlin, who you all have heard me voice my displeasure with him at times. I'm not the biggest fan of his. Think he and Dave Caldwell should have been fired. I think they should have restarted this whole operation. uh, Khan should have at least um, when when 2018 was over with. But they kept them nonetheless. And, um, you know, that that's what we have to deal with right now. So that I mean, that being said, though, you know, you you look at Tom Coughlin and you listen to what he says and, you know, what, what Dave Caldwell says and what they echo. And the big thing is, you know, they preach this whole thing about, you know, players doing the right thing. Uh, players showing up and and producing and and being less mouth, so to speak, and letting their actions speak. Well, Yannick Ngakwe is exemplary of that. He's done nothing but showed up. Uh, hasn't I don't think he's missed a game. He's a guy that has produced in terms of sacks twenty what twenty nine point five over the course of three years. So he's looking at thirty sacks in his first three years of playing football. And yeah, while he, you know, struggles against the run. And those are well documented. And that, that could be one of the things that are holding up contract talks. Um, mean, you, you could I guess you could see it from that side of the field if you are the Jaguars. Um, but that being said, if you end up having to pay him the Marcus Lawrence money or, or Frank Clark money, so be it. Because at the end of the day, pass rushers and the quarterbacks are what make this this league. And if you you know what I'm saying, if you want to beat the teams with elite quarterback, simply put, you need the Yannick and Gakwe's of the world that not only can uh, get to the quarterback, but this guy's been he's forced 10 fumbles. So he he makes game changing plays despite what he offers against the run. So, you know, if you end up having to pay him that much in guarantees, so be it. You know, personally, I think Lawrence and Clark are a little bit more well-rounded. Defenders and and Yannick should get paid a little less than them, not necessarily a lot less than them. And when I say a little less than them, you know, look, they're getting sixty two point three million guaranteed and sixty five million guaranteed. I think Yannick should get anywhere between maybe 60 million guaranteed and, and 65 million guaranteed somewhere in that ballpark. That's what I mean by if he gets less, it shouldn't be that much less than them. Um, and they, I mean we we seen this often in the league. Sometimes the next guy up just wants to be the highest paid temporarily. That's just the ongoing thing here. And um that's you know, that's just how players want it because you know they, they want the NFL to open up their checkbooks. It's not I don't even think it's so much that, yeah, sure, they you know, their egos get involved and you know it that's a big accolade to be the highest paid guy of a position. But it in this day and age, like it's so quick that somebody overtakes you as the highest paid guy that I don't think that's really that big of a deal, but you know, they just want the NFL to open up their checkbooks and they want to inflate the rate, you know, to where they're getting paid better, you know, over time. So I think that's the case of what's going on here. Maybe it could be. Um, but again, the Jacksonville Jaguars need to do right by him. And, and this is the thing. And, and they actually talked about this on the lockdown Jaguars podcast. And, and people on Twitter have said, and, and they are absolutely right. Um, you, you know, you you look at who the Jaguars have paid in the past and you look at this mantra they put on and what they say about, you know, paying the right people, this, that and the other, paying the hard workers, the guys that 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 are less mouth and more action. But you look at the people that they've played, they've paid these huge contracts over the years. For one, they've been paying a lot of free agents and this needs to change very soon because. As we all know, teams are built through the draft. You don't build teams through free agency. But they've been they've willingly spent a lot of money in free agency and willingly have paid the Malik Jacksons of the world. These ninety five million dollar contracts. Uh, Calais Campbell, who actually has worked out, you I guess you can't put him in this category. Um, you know, they paid A.J. Boyer, who wasn't as good as he was in 2017, you know, so. You can argue that he hasn't necessarily lived up to his contract. I mean, yeah, you overpay in free agency in general. That's just what it is. But you look at the Julius Thomases who clearly didn't work out, uh, you know, that they paid a lot of money. I think his contract was guaranteed what, 40 million or something like that. And you, you just look at all of these guys that they paid from the outside. Now it's time to start taking care of your homegrown talent. And yes, I know they're, you know, Some guys like Brandon Linder, who they paid and then, you know, Tellman Smith and Blake Bortles. But even with those guys, you could argue that although they're homegrown talent and guys that Dave Caldwell drafted, you could argue that they haven't lived up to their contracts either or that it was questionable to pay those guys too, especially Blake Bortles. You know, and we harp on him a lot here. And it's not really much to say about Blake Bortles. They shouldn't have paid him in terms of that contract extension and now they're paying for it now they're on the hook for 16 million dollars that they still owe him for not even being on the team okay and now they got to pay nick Foles 12 million in a dead cap hit on top of that that's how you get into these situations with yannick and got where you can't pay the guys that actually have worked their tails off and and basically have earned their contracts you look at brandon linder when he's there you know he's he's good and he's been a leader for the offensive line and, and he's been Arguably their best offensive lineman uh, since he's been drafted. However, he's hardly ever available. You know, another mistake there uh, because they haven't gotten their worth out of him because he's missed a lot of games. And I, I can't remember exactly how many, but I know he's at, at least in the last three years, missed eight. And that might be being generous. Then you look at a guy like Telvin Smith, Fool, you could argue. Earn his current contract more than the two other players I named in Linder and in Bortles but he still hasn't you know been all that we thought he could be and although you know he's not even with the team right now he stepped away from football for the year you know you look at it like he he of course he and I talked about this in the last podcast in terms of instincts and making a play against the run, he was solid. And the guy has led, and I'm not trying to discredit him in any manner. The guy has led the tackle, the team in tackles for the last three years. But in terms of coverage, you know, they're not getting their worth out of him in terms of coverage because he's been just horrendous in that category. So, I mean, you look at, I guess, you know, with Yannick, you know, you can kind of say the same thing about him against the run. But you look at Yannick, he's been as close to perfect as you can be for a player and he certainly earned a new deal and, and the Jaguars need to do by, right by him, because in the past, when it comes to spending money and where they, they're putting their money, it appears they've been putting it into the wrong places and for them to. Or if they even go this route and elect not to pay Yannick Ngakwe, that would be a horrible look on the on the on the locker room. Just imagine being Jalen Ramsey and Miles Jack and whoever else looking on this on the outside end and saying, hey, you could pay all of these free agents, all of this money, Malik Jackson and, and Julius Thomas. And you could pay some of these homegrown guys all of this money that didn't earn it. But you can't pay a guy like Yannick and Ngakwe who wants to be a leader who's still ascending as a player. He hasn't even reached his peak yet. And a guy that gets to the quarterback, uh, arguably the second most important position in football. You know, you if you're looking at it from that perspective, from people in the locker room and, and looking at Tom Coughlin and, and Dave Cowell, you got to be looking at them sideways from that perspective if they don't get this deal done. So that's why it's key that they get the deal done. They don't lowball them and they do it in the right manner because they haven't hesitated to pay talent that they haven't grown. And they haven't hesitated to pay talent that might have been paid a little bit. More than they should have when you look at the totality of their contracts. So it would be an absolute stain on this franchise to let Yannick Ngakwe get away from them and, and they not pay him. But I don't know if we'll necessarily get to that point. It, it's kind of hard to tell now because, you know, dump Marone says, hey, you know, you got to talk to Tom Coughlin and Dave Caldwell about that. Well, as we all know, past the draft, Dave Caldwell and Tom Coughlin aren't available. Okay. I mean, yeah, you that you can see them at the practices. They'll be there on the sidelines. But in terms of meeting with the media, they you know, they're out of sight in terms of that, which and I don't know that it necessarily should be that way. You know, uh, people need to know, you know, the fans that pay their hard earned money. You know, they need to know some of these things that are going on with the team. You don't have to give them the exact details, you know, and, uh, you know, a play by play on what's going on. Just, you know, let us know if you're at least talking to the man and if you're close or not or whatever the case may be. And and we're kind of in the dark about that. We don't know how serious contract talks have gone. Um, If they're close, if they're not. Obviously, if they were close, he might be there. So I don't think they're close. Maybe they lowballed him. If they offer the contract at all, you know, maybe they're looking at it as, hey, we got Josh Allen, who's unproven. That would be so unwise. But that I feel like that might be something this front office would do. But they may be looking at it as, hey, we got Josh Allen. He's the successor for Yannick and we'll just let Yannick go or whatever the case may be. Or we'll, we'll um, franchise him next year, then let him go. And I think that would be a terrible mistake if they're looking at it this way. So I just hope that the Jaguars are or At least having contract talks with him. And I mean, I think I would think I'm 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 optimistic about a deal getting done. I would think it would get done in July, maybe or just prior to training camp if it does. But again, at the same time, that's blind optimism because we really don't know what the deal is. And like if they're having talks at all. So I guess we'll see later down the road exactly what's going on with Yannick and Gakwe situation. Uh, but for the sake of Jags fans, you know, he he certainly needs to get his money and get his due. And uh, he certainly earned it. And, and when you preach what the Jaguars front office have preached, you have no choice but to pay him or you're going to look like hypocrites, which I mean, and they have already in some categories, not necessarily this situation. But, you know, you don't want to look too hypocritical and continue to look hypocritical, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Uh, because you know that's a good way to get fans off the bandwagon. So that's where I'm at with the Ngakwe situation. Um, the next topic at hand, as we close in on roughly 26 minutes, uh, I was gonna talk some Fournette, but I, I mean I pretty much said what I had to say about him last week. So yeah, to keep this brief as possible. Uh, you know, I might say that for another time. What we'll do is we'll talk about um, and I asked, I also answer some questions at the end of this podcast, as I did in episode forty. But the next topic we're going to convert to here is the Buffalo Bills stadium situation. Now, this is something I've been wanting a long, long talk on. Um, I've talked on this actually in the past on this podcast, me and Phil. Uh, this time I'm doing this solo, so bear with me. But as we all know, um, I, I think. Mike Florio actually brought this idea to my head to talk about this on my podcast because he talked about it on his podcast, and of course, when he starts talking about the bills situation and relocation in general, um yeah, and he's been kind of good on the last ten years about not mentioning the jazz with these kind of things at least um but and I think a lot of that also is because of shotgun. Um, The commitment that he showed and the money that he's kind of poured into Jacksonville and the stadium and this, that and the other. But as we've seen in the past, when relocation talks come up on PFT and when they come from Mike Florio, who I really like, I love the PFT podcast. Obviously, I got this idea from listening to it and I listen to it at least three times a week. Uh, But when when he starts to talk about relocation talks, uh, you know, Jacksonville gets brought up, of course, you know. All the time, it's that's been something notorious for him. Like I said, he's been good about it the last eight or ten years, but this thing goes full circle, I guess. So, you know, he was talking about the bill situation, and then he came to the Jaguars because what he basically was saying, and um, I'm just kind of paraphrasing him, is After the NFL looks at the Buffalo Bills situation and getting a stadium and that's all addressed, whether that's through relocation or they get their new stadium. You know, teams like Jacksonville and like the Bengals, you know, small market teams are going to be the ones that the NFL basically eyes next for new stadiums or relocation or what have you. And I do believe that's a possibility, although the Jaguars do have. 10 years left on their lease, their lease uh, runs through 2030 and they're, they're not necessarily in the situation that Buffalo is whose lease runs through 2020 or I think it's 2023. Okay. Yeah. So 2023. So that's why the bills are in crunch mode now. And they're having these discussions is because, you know, they are at that point where they're four years away from their lease, basically uh, being up, with Ralph Wilson Stadium or his new era field now. So, uh, you know, what Florio was saying about, you know, the league and Roger Goodell, it might not even be Roger Goodell because by the time it, it comes to uh, turn around and start looking at the Jags and their stadium situation, Goodell probably will be gone, uh, which that's probably that probably would be a good thing. But I digress from my point. Um, but, yeah, after the Bills situation is taken care of, the league will then turn to a team like the Jacksonville Jaguars and and Mark Lamping, uh, the president of the Jacksonville Jaguars, have hinted at this or he has hinted at this. And he uh, in the last state of the franchise, he was saying that the Jacksonville Jaguars and Buffalo Bills are uh, the only two teams in the league that either haven't. Um, basically had renovations of upwards of $300 million or built new stadiums who haven't relocated, if that makes sense. So that said, the Jaguars have been preparing for this, too. And you would think or it just looks like on the surface that they're looking at the Buffalo Bills situation and what could come of that. And they the organization also believes that the NFL could turn their attention to the Jaguars after all of this or after the Bills situation is settled. And again, the Jags lease isn't up till uh, 2030. However, when the Bills lease is up and I, again, that's uh, 2023, uh, it'll be time for the Jaguars to start preparing as the Bills are now Uh, Because they'll have what roughly six years at that point before their lease is up as well. So in a nutshell, what the Jaguars are doing is what teams typically do. And that's uh, preparing five years in advance to have something on the table in terms of renovations or whatever the case may be uh, by the time. What I guess that'll be roughly 2024 with six to five years left on the lease. They're preparing in advance five years in advance to have something ready by 2024 which probably for the Jets would also and, and Lamping talked about this too would include a lease extension uh, and, and when you look at these lease extensions I think the most recent one that was done was uh, the Bills again going back to the Bills was in 2012 they did a 10 um, year extension in December of 2012 and that's basically how they got where they are now and uh, you know that that lease is almost up as I said which ends in 2023 so at that point, if the Jazz could even get approved for renovations upwards of three hundred million dollars or whatever the case may be, which will be a hard thing to do, you know, granted, Jacksonville's economy and how their, uh I guess you could say the city council goes about things. And again, they are a smaller market, so they'll be a little bit more reluctant to shell out money than one of the bigger markets, if you will. Arguably so, you can understand that. But anyhow, I said all of that with the Buffalo situation and watching how that goes and how, you know, Jacksonville should react based off of that. I said all of that to say this I got to thinking about, you know, the future of the jacksonville jaguars and we have talked about this again on future podcasts or, or podcasts in the past me and phil uh, did the most recent one and i, I got to thinking uh and in, in five years or so you know if the jaguars do approve or get approved by the city for renovations of 300 to 400 to 500 million dollars at that point Again, and I wrote an article on this as well, not just have done a podcast on it, but at that point, you're what a third of a way for paying for a new stadium. And I know there's some incentive to get something done there in terms of, you know, extending the lease for 10 years or whatever. But I got to thinking to myself, and, and I said to myself, in five years, if you're going to pay a third of what it would cost for a new stadium and the thing about this is the thing about renovations, guys, as we are seeing more renovations or, or when you have renovations, it just leads to more renovations. Simply put, you know, there were renovations that we did back in 2012, I think, if I'm not mistaken. And I think Shotcom may have paid all of those. Um, and then, you know, we had to help with the dailies play situation that we may have. uh Help with other renovations that have been done since Khan has become the owner. All of that to say, this is just with renovations on an older stadium. It's becoming a trend. You you're never done, if you will. You know, it feels like the Jacksonville Jaguars are always asking the taxpayers for money. You know, with with the stadium being older, and then you know. You get renovations in. OK, we need this. Then you get renovations. Then, OK, we need that. And it's just kind of been like a, a a back and forth battle. And and we're witnessing it now, you know, Lamping. Here he is again talking about renovations. And everybody's reaction on Twitter was telling of, you know, this process and how it's been. Everybody's like, oh, here we go again. You know, they're going to ask for more money and, and this, that and the other. So my thing is this. If in five years Jacksonville and the city council uh, comes to agreement to put in let's say 300 uh, million dollars into uh renovations and you would think Shotgun is going to help to some degree but they come to agreement to pay 300 million uh in renovations and you know in return you know they get a lease extended for 10 more years so why not just try and nip this thing in the bud for a longer term than adding 10 years to the lease and and what i mean by that Is why not, you know, try and just do a 50 50 deal, maybe have the city put 500 million into the pot and then Khan match that. And you've paid for a new stadium. And not only that, but you've paid for a longer term and longevity in Jacksonville, as opposed to adding 10 years or extending the lease for 10 years, uh, plus the five years that will be remaining. You'll be looking at 15 years if you get a new stadium. You're looking at typically a new stadium keeps a team in their city for at least 40 years. And while taxpayers and that includes myself, would, you know, somebody probably listening to this right now, saying five hundred million dollars. That's asinine. And they're absolutely right, especially for Jacksonville. But over the years, I mean, I think we're growing tired of these rumors and what have you. And we want to put this thing to rest for good. And I think a new stadium does that because as I just said, a new stadium keeps you in the city for 40 years at least. And also by doing it this way, another thing that you do is you also find out where Shah Khan stands in terms of how much he believes in the city as a football town, basically. And what I mean by that is if he doesn't want to put five hundred million dollars into the pot after the city says they will put five hundred million dollars into the pot. You now know his hand. You now know that he doesn't believe in the Jacksonville market enough to make that a financial investment and B. Uh, to make that commitment in terms of longevity, although, you know, like I said, they are trying to maybe extend the lease by 10 years. But, you know, if you're the city, you want to keep the team longer than that and hold on the team longer than that. In other words, you want to entangle the team here. And the crazy thing about it, it would really tell us his hand because he was willing to fork over 900 million for Wembley Stadium, albeit a bigger market and albeit probably a more pro- prosperous market than Jacksonville. But you know, at least with us, we're cutting that price in half by asking for 400 million less for Wembley Stadium, which granted is a much bigger market and there's more money to make over there, uh, this, that and the other. But it would just show you the discrepancy of how he feels about this market in comparison to that market. And not only that, it would tell you how he feels about this market in, in, in comparison to maybe another American market. So it would really tell you uh, where he stands. And, you know, he has proven that he wants to be in Jacksonville. Don't get me wrong. But. But, you know, we I think like we all have just kind of grown tired of the rumors and we've grown tired of looking over our shoulders and, you know, worrying about if the Jaguars are going to be here long term or not, despite us, you know, on multiple occasions. Uh, Proving that the Jacksonville Jaguars are here to stay, but nothing would say that more than a new stadium. As much as I love TIAA Phil, and as much as five hundred million dollars is not easy to come up with. And, and that is a asinine figure for a small market, especially with, you know, especially when you see what Chad Khan's net worth is. But again, this is about, you know. Locking the team in for 40 years and just putting all of this to rest for good. You know, sometimes you have to pay extra for that. And yes, I totally agree that, you know, Shaq Khan is rich to the point where he should foot over the whole bill for a new stadium. But the thing is, I don't know that he would be willing to foot that kind of bill for a small market as opposed to a bigger market, if you will. So nobody take that to heart or take it literally. Uh, it's just something really more so that I wanted to get off my chest and ask you all really is what this is all about, how you all feel on it. So feel free to let me know in the comments. Let me know if it's it's just asinine. It's crazy because I'm no economist, if that's even a word. I'll openly admit that. But, you know, I'm just you know, looking about I'm, I'm looking at the future for the team and just want to come to some concrete conclusion as to, you know, their future in Jacksonville. And I just you know, that's just a suggestion that I think would entrench them here for the next 40 years or so. So feel free to let me know on the comments and social media, uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, you name it. Feel free to let me know what y'all think of that, because I do feel like it's a strong possibility that these next Uh, Five to eight years will be telling about the Jaguars future in Jacksonville, especially with the Buffalo Bills situation, which I feel like we should watch closely. All right. So to uh, wrap up the show and I'm actually doing good here at 40 minutes to wrap up the show, as promised, I'm going to answer some questions I receive uh, mostly. Well, actually, all of my questions came from Facebook. And uh, people basically went to our Jaguars wire Facebook page and uh, they had a few questions. I think we got what three here, if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, we'll get into those. Uh, the first one is from Brian Branch. He acts. Uh, we all know the main concern. On the team is the offensive side of the ball. Uh, do we have the components to make a run for the playoffs? A lot of us are concerned about the offensive line and receiving court. But what about the running backs? Will Fournette stay healthy? Can Rawls and Armstead provide the production that we need to back up Fournette? Solid question there, Brian. Um, I guess I'll start with... um. I guess I'll start with the running back questions you had. Uh, Will uh, Fournette stay healthy? Um, To be quite frank with you, I don't. Well, it depends on what you define as healthy. Now, uh, Fournette is a guy that I believe personally is never going to play all 16 games of the regular season or what have you, and then, you know, when you get in the playoffs, you know, you, you have to worry about his health then as well, you know, if he can make it through the regular season. But, I mean, dating back to his time at LSU, he's never really proven to be a guy that can stay healthy all throughout the season or play all 100% of the game. So, I definitely wouldn't bank on that. Um, In terms of, like, if I had to put a number on how many regular season games he would miss, uh, you know, just based off of Fournette's history, at least maybe – Anywhere from four to maybe two games he can miss. I, you know, what? I'll just go with the higher number here. I'll say he misses, yeah, three to four games. So we're looking at him playing what uh, is 17 games in the season, if you include the bye. So it's really 16 if he missed four. So we're looking at him maybe playing 12 to 13 games and uh, maybe missing the rest. Personally, I mean, that's just my personal opinion, just based off of his history. And I mean, his playing style is, you know, he he... He's a power back. Uh, He's a guy that, you know, people are often at his legs and, you know, he just plays a brutal style of football, uh, which, you know, in his credit, you know, that that's good to be the one uh, putting laying out the licks, if you will. But at the same time, it kind of takes a toll on you. And that's really been the case for him. So, yeah, I would say he misses three to four games personally. And that's not me just being funny or uh, you know, being hard on Fournette or whatever, but I'm just going by what history says. Um, in terms of Rawls and Armstead, I really think um, you know, from what I hear, Rawls has been working hard in OTAs, and um, today was the first day uh, for mini camp. Didn't really hear much about him today, but in terms of OTAs, I heard he's been working hard. But I don't know that he makes the team. I had him making the team on my uh roster predictions, but he kind of made it as a bubble guy. Um And he kind of made it because, like I said, with Fournette, uh, with his history, I kind of went heavy on running backs. I think I put five running backs in there, if you will. And, um you know, j- just out of concern for Fournette, I put Rawls in there as well. But he's a bubble guy. He has a chance to make it. But I think when it's all said and done and when the pads go on, you know, somebody might can overtake him as one of those bubble guys. As for Armstead, I love his upside. I love his potential. He's a guy that when we drafted him, I was on record for saying uh, he's a guy that I think down the road could be a force for the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think even this year, you know, if. Uh, he has a decent trainer or not even decent, but if he has a really good training camp and he shows up in the regular season, he can work his way up to being the Jaguars number two down the road. I mean, I like what I see from him on the field. He's much like Fournette. You can argue that he's a little bit tougher than Fournette, Uh played in more college games than him, if I'm not mistaken. But in terms of their build and the way they run, they're very similar. And he really gives the Jaguars an insurance policy for Fournette, who, as I said, has missed a lot of games. And even furthermore, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, they believe that Armstead could be the future number one back with all of these question marks surrounding Fournette and his future with the Jaguars. You know, they voided his contract guarantees and, um, you know, he, he's not a lock to be on this team in the future because he's had all of these issues and these incidents with the front office. So that being said, uh, you know, it it wouldn't shock me the slightest bit if, you know, they may be eyeing him, especially if he has a very good season in the regular season, they might be eyeing Armstead as maybe the successor for Fournette at the number one running back position. As for your, uh, your initial questions, do we have the components to make a run for the playoffs? Absolutely. We do. Um, You know, we play in a very competitive division now where it's, you know, if you look at the Vegas odds, you know, they they're neck and neck in terms of uh, who's going to place where in the division. So they are projecting, in other words, a a very close competitive race. But, yeah, we we do have the pieces, in my opinion, um, which I'll talk on with one of the other questions. But although it's early, I do think I'm, I'm a little bit more higher on the receivers than others. Um, I'm encouraged what I saw out of G or, or what I've heard about G Swain and um, Josh Allen or uh, I'm sorry, Josh Oliver, the other tight end we got. So, I mean, I know the pads haven't gone on, but just right now, if we were going off of what we've seen in OTAs and in in terms of our outlook, uh, outlook and hoping things will translate when the pads go on. You know the the passing game looked very good, which is a big concern for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And if they can uh, have a better passing game than they did with Blake Borders, or I'll say this: if they can be a top fifteen passing group and be in the top ten in rushing, uh, they absolutely have the defensive pieces. And uh, you know that would basically give them the, uh, in terms of a whole team, a whole roster that would give them. Uh, The firepower they would need to be a playoff team or contending for the playoffs by the end of the season. So I think I answered all of your questions. It was more like three and one. Let's see to make sure I got it all. So, yeah, I think I, I think I got all of that. Appreciate the question, Brian. Uh, the next question is from, uh, Sean Pratton. He asks, is, um, a a legit backup again, going back to, you know, this being OTAs and mini camp, the pads haven't gone on. So, you know, it's a little bit hard. You don't want to, you know, Put too much into what you're seeing at the moment, but um, I really like what I've heard about Mcguffin. i I've like I like what others who've been there, and again, I will be there later in the summer to watch them during training camp. But I like what others have said uh, that have actually been in attendance to practice about Mcguff. You know, they they uh, talk about his arm strength most notably, and really, when you when you look at all of the articles and what everybody's saying, he's established himself, and I'm talking about Mcguff him. Uh, McGuff here Uh, he's established himself as the number two in terms of who looks uh you know the best behind Nick Foles he's established himself as that number two guy even though you know uh Minshew can overtake him in training camp and it's kind of close right now but they love what they uh in terms of the people that are there and the media members that are there they love what they're seeing out of his arm strength and uh you know he's a guy even coming into the draft last year I think it was last year out of Florida Atlantic I think he came from or um it might have been Florida international one he came from one of the schools uh down there uh south of Jacksonville, should I say and you you look at all uh, what the scouting reports. Said about him, and you look at uh the things that people praised him about. You know, he was a what? Uh, he started all of his years there, a four years starter there. Uh, he's a guy that showed great arm strength. He was a guy that a lot of people, although he was a sixth round pick, a lot of people liked his developmental upside, and you know, a lot of people we high on him in terms of his upside and his developmental abilities, um, maybe not so much to develop into a starter, but a backup. So he was a guy praised as a kind of a dark horse or a gym going into the draft and now like you you're starting to see at least with the arm strength and what he's done in OTAs you're starting to see that so um yeah I can't wait to see what he does in training camp but I think when it's all said and done I think you know especially with him getting experience last year in the preseason with the Seahawks I think he can end up being the Jaguars number two uh quarterback behind Nick Foles so uh the big homie Eric Serna, shout outs to Eric, asks, uh, what's the best and worst case scenario for the wide receiver core outside of DD still seems like one of our weakest areas on the team? And I was actually uh, referring to this in uh, the first question with who was it again? It was uh, Brian. And, uh, you know, I kind of went on about the receivers actually in that question. And and my thing with them is yeah you you're spot on about Didi you know like Didi clearly looks like he's the guy in terms of if you're looking at what he did last year he looks like he is the guy uh, that that shows the most promise or presents the most promise heading forward uh, however he he missed a lot of days in OTAs so we didn't really get to see him on the field with Nick Foles a lot uh, but when he was. On the field with Nick Foles, it was very encouraging. But I said all of that to say this, you know, him missing the days he did presented uh, a lot of people in OTAs to see what Keelan Cole can do. Most importantly, Chris Conley and DJ Chark could do. Um, and, and those are guys that I've all praised in terms of what they did in OTAs. Those guys simply put. And I don't think the Jags have had a display like this with the passing game in a long time. In terms of what the quarterback has been able to do with the receivers and OTAs, and again, I know it's just OTAs, but that's all we have to go off of right now. But Foles' connection with those three in particular, because like I said, Didi missed some days, was very strong. And I don't know if it was necessarily the secondary. Again, I have to see some of these things with my own eyes, which I will for training camp. I don't know if it was so much the secondary is young, and 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 they, you know, they're just trying to. Uh, get a grasp for the game right now. You know, they have Ronnie Harrison. They have Gerard Wilson back there as their two safety, their two starting safety. So they're relatively young back there. But even so, like you, you look at all of the reports, you know, they were saying A.J. Boye was struggling at times, not necessarily a lot, but at times struggling with the uh, Jags deep ball ability. And some of that was because of Nick Foles ball placement, which is much better than Blake Bortles. Um, So I think that has a lot to do with it. And he allows these receivers, especially these speedy guys that I just named, like, you know, Cole and Conley and Chart. He allows them to get up under the ball with the kind of ball he throws, as opposed to what Blake Bortles throws. And and Nick Foles is not a guy that goes deep a lot from the film that I watch. He's not a guy that goes deep a lot in the regular season. So he's kind of I guess he's kind of using OTAs to test out the deep ball. And it's been highly successful. And I mean, even aside from that, the the receivers that I named, they have flourished. They've been arguably, aside from foes, they were one of the more encouraging parts of OTAs. And simply put, most people would say, you know, you can argue that if you had an OTA MVP, that it could be Chark or it could be Cole or it could be Chris Conley. But. Right now, as of now, it's very encouraging in terms of how Nick Foles' connection with the receivers is looking, especially, I guess, Chris Conley, because Chris Conley's the veteran. Uh, he kind of knows his offense because it's kind of tied to that Andy Reid tree that he learned over in Kansas City. So he knows it a little bit better than the guys he's been in the league a little bit longer than the other guys like Chark and Cole. And, of course, you know, he he played with Nick Foles in Kansas City, so they have that bond. So that's one to especially look out for because I think he could end up being the number one uh, even with Marquise Lee's situation because he's not scheduled to come back until uh, late in, in training camp or, or I think two weeks into training camp. But I think by that time, Conley will have, be, will have been – Established himself as number one by then, uh, because of that connection and because of you know, uh, him riding his wave from OTAs and hopefully from mini camp going into training camp. So, uh, you know, I, I think like we got to see more so what they do with the pads go on, where the DBs can get up on you and go man to man and be physical with you, and and we. We get to see what they can do in the preseason because they play some pretty decent defenses, like the Eagles, as we'll see. But right now, it's very encouraging, Eric, and it's it's odd to say that. And I'm I'm not even being biased because Conley is a Georgia guy, but like I was honestly shocked at how uh, successful the receivers were in OTAs. So. Go feel free to um look at all of my like OTA rundowns. I got an article where they all are, uh, basically in one article. So feel free to check that out, and you can kind of see all of the notes that I got from those that were there on you know how good this receiving core was because, uh, like I said, it, it was kind of astonishing because we've gone so long and we've seen that aspect of the um the offense kind of struggle in OTAs, especially with Blake Bortles under the helm. So. Uh, That looks like Eric's question was the last one. I didn't get any on Twitter this time around. I'm looking at the comments made under Eric's question to make sure any more questions weren't put under that. Uh, And it looks like it's not. So uh, that being said, I appreciate everybody reaching out to us and asking these questions. This is really kind of the fun part for me, because I like to be interactive and um, I like to communicate with others and, you know, give others my thoughts that want to know you know, my take and how I feel on, um you know, what's going on with the Jaguar. So shout outs to Brian, Sean and Eric for uh, the questions that they uh they asked. And um I look forward to doing this again next week. So I'll, I'll make a post about that. And uh, you all can also post questions in that for episode 42. So all of that being said, uh, that will do it for today's episode of Jags, Den podcast, as I said, hopefully. We'll have Phil and Jacob back for the next episode who were uh, they were they were at work this afternoon. And um, that being said, um, before we close out in terms of what I have to um, post on social media or what I have to post on the jazz wire, I'm sorry, Uh, with minicamp going on, of course, it'll be a lot of minicamp. Uh, related post uh, of course I have the latest in quotes just as I did today with Jalen Ramsey and uh Doug marone I have some more mini camp related uh content to go on there as well I really haven't uh, mapped out what I'm gonna exactly uh write on in terms of mini camp but just expect a lot of mini camp related posts heading forward uh, they have two more days after this so after that I might take a good little break prepare for a training camp, as I said in the last podcast, uh, but we'll see how that goes. So um, feel free to check out this podcast the Jags Den podcast the number one Jaguars podcast on the airwaves and oh by the way while I'm at that thank you everybody for listening um right now according to at least uh audio boom we have 22k listens so we we very much appreciate everybody that's been listening also feel free to go to iTunes and subscribe and comment and rate and help us uh get up in the ratings in itunes because that's the most popular podcast interface on the web apparently so um you know we we could be a little bit stronger in the itunes category but according to audio boom we're doing just fine and we appreciate the support so feel free to check us out on itunes soundcloud uh not soundcloud because i haven't updated it yet but stitcher tune in audio boom uh, we're also on iheart radio we're also on Stitch. uh not Stitcher. I already said that Deezer and Radio Public, and there's some more interfaces that I'll link in there uh, that I may be forgetting at the moment. So, um, as always, you all be safe out there. And as Phil always puts it, Miles Jack was not down and go Jags.